Well, welcome everybody to episode 41 of the Blow Up Valve podcast. We're your host, Alex and Tucker, and we're going to recap the U.S. Grand Prix that happened down at the Circuit of the Americas in Austin, just outside Austin, Texas, this past weekend. But first, we want to do something that I don't think we've ever done on this show, and that's touch base on something that is not car-related, but uh, that we're both, uh, we just want to kind of hype up uh, to whoever's willing to listen. Uh, yeah. So this past weekend, the movie Dune finally came out based on the sci-fi classic uh, series by Frank Herbert. And mm-hmm. a lot of people thought that this movie was basically, or I should say this book was basically unfilmable. Yeah. And there was a David Lynch attempt in the 80s that was pretty, it's developed a bit of a cult following, but it's pretty roundly canned at the time and, and to yeah, the, point the director like disowned <laughs> disowned it as yeah. well so uh you know this was obviously a lot of technological advances in cgi since that time uh to bring this story to life and then um this was directed by denis villeneuve who uh, is a french canadian director who did um blade runner 2077 he did arrival um so he's kind of known for these really beautiful science fiction kind of epic movies. And what did you think about it? Oh man, it was, it was pretty awesome. I mean, I saw the original as like a kid, but I wasn't, um, I don't know what the right word is. Like I wasn't like a prick or anything at that point. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. I wasn't like scoffing at really anything. I was like, Oh, that was sweet. Yeah. When you're a kid, like pretty much every movie is pretty sweet. (laughs) it's like that was awesome (laughs) so um you know i was excited just from that perspective because i'm Mm -hmm. sure now if i watched it again i'd be like oh you know yeah showing it's you know age not aged well dude i so um, i saw a clip from it when they were fighting so in in the in the series they have these kind of personal mm -hmm. shields that they can put over themselves so they can practice fighting and things like that and yeah. the, the the shields from from that the David Lynch movie are hilarious. <laughs> They're so, I'll have I mean, to check that out again. It's so bad. I thought they were sweet as a kid. I was like, oh, that's so cool. It's definitely. <laughs> uh, I mean, the thing is, like, he was working with the technology of his time, but it is trash. Yeah. <laughs> it is so bad. I'll have to check it out again. Yeah, it's funny. So you watched but it? No, I mean the, the the difference here, I think, was. I mean, like in most of this movie, I was just kind of in awe of the world, you know? Right. Yeah, the world like these building. Big ass ships just freaking coming down and dropping <laughs> ramps and got yeah. royalty getting dropped off. And you're just like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is not a messing around world. <laughs> no. You know? No. It, it's, I think that's something that. Villeneuve has a a talent for a lot of things, but one of the things that I have really enjoyed in his movies is like a sense of scale of everything. Like the ships in Arrival, were yeah, massive. exactly, yeah, yeah. The the city in in um, I keep wanting to say cyberpunk <laughs> in yeah. uh, Blade Runner were yeah this yeah. massive it's brutalist massive. kind of architecture. Um, but he always does something to kind of give you context for the size of stuff. So like, you know, in, in Blade Runner, it's one of the flying cars going through the city. So you have an idea mm-hmm. of how huge those buildings are. In Dune, like when the, the sandworm 
is yeah. is eating the um the spice harvester. Yeah, which was there's already that, massive to begin Yeah, there's with. the scene where they're they're being airlifted out and and uh 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 Paul Atreides is on the ramp being held mm-hmm. at, like held by uh Gurney yeah. and uh you've got them in the foreground and the worm in the background you're like oh my god that Calm thing is huge. Down. Yeah. That it's, is true, actually. That is kind of an art when you think about it. I mean, just in our, you know, world where we're overloaded with stimulus, you kind of lose track of the fact that some people have that type of stuff in their imagination and can create it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Obviously, my what, brain hasn't even thought about that kind of stuff because when I see it, I'm like, wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's no, crazy. Well, it's it's cool because the director was a, a a huge fan of the book and. um and really, I mean, there's lines directly from the book. There's scenes that are really yeah. uh, truth. No, it's not the right word, but they're very faithful to the book um, mm-hmm. as well. And uh, I thought, you know, the book itself has, there's a lot of political intrigue and a lot of like world building that you can understand reading the book, why they would say it's unfilmable because there's so, it's so complex. Um, yeah politics, religion, all this sort of stuff. And um, I thought he did a really nice job of kind of telling you the parts that you you really need to understand or at least showing you the parts you need to understand. And then, like, some of the more minutiae stuff is kind of left to the side a little bit without losing, you know, the important pieces of the book. Yeah. Yeah, overall, I was really impressed. I felt kind of like an idiot, like I said to you at the beginning. <laughs> I didn't realize it was split in two. Yeah, I just yeah. totally wasn't in the room when that popped up. And hadn't yeah. read about it, didn't, because I didn't want to spoil anything. So I was like, I'm just mm-hmm. going to dive in. Yeah, and then, think, you know, with like 40 minutes left, I was thinking, God, they got a lot to cover here. A lot of ground to cover, yeah. <laughs> I think and then it finally dawned on it. It was like, oh. <laughs> well, yeah, so that's the interesting thing. So all the advertising material... Villeneuve said he would only take on the project if he could do it in two parts, because basically he felt that there was too much to fit into one movie. And the interesting thing to me is, is that the studio agreed. He, you know, he obviously filmed the first part and all the advertising material, all the trailers and whatnot just says Dune. But then when you actually see the movie, it says Dune part one. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the studio supposedly has not officially greenlit the next movie. Yeah. They were waiting to see how this did. And, yeah, did it completely sink or right. does it swim? And, and so it, far, it, it sounds it's, like it's swimming. It's doing really well. Yeah. So they, it had supposedly like H. So it was, it was in theaters, but it was also streaming on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. And it supposedly had like the biggest HBO Max premiere of any of their movies that they've done this kind of concurrent release strategy yeah. with. And it did actually really well at the box office as well. And uh, I can understand why the why the studio is kind of holding back because supposedly the budget for this was like $165 million. So okay. it's extremely expensive to make as you would expect for something that's so... The set design, the CGI, all the stuff is is can't be cheap for the scale that they're doing the story on. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, uh, but 
But there's no way the second one doesn't get made at this point. Right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, there's a lot of kind of hints from the stars. I think Josh Brolin said something on Twitter, and, and Timothy Chalamet, who who's plays Paul Atreides, the main character, he, he said something, on, alluded to something on Twitter that, uh, you know, all signs are that they're going to make a, make the second part. And, I mean, I I just was, so my wife and I went and saw this in um, at the IMAX on Saturday night, and I was just blown away by it. I mean, the, the um, you know, the movie is quite long, even though it's split up into two parts. The first part is like two and a half hours. And I was just riveted the entire time. Yeah. Like I oh, was yeah. in the world. I was totally immersed. And it's some of the best science fiction I've seen in yeah. a long, long time. Yeah, I agree. There's something about just the scenes, the ships, the battles that were just, <laughs> I don't know, just, man, it really did suck you in. It felt real, you know, and then just like these crazy, I remember that kind of aerial bombardment. Of oh, the, yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. just seeing these like torpedoes plow through these shields or something. I was just like, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, just yeah. like, this is nuts. Yeah, no, it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's phenomenal. And it it just I don't know. It's I've heard some people say it's like a, a grown-up Star Wars because it's yeah. you know, there's more depth to it, there's more nuance to it. I don't know. It's its own story. Like I don't think yeah. no, all yeah, science fiction, you know, yeah. epics have to be compared to Star Wars. It's it's a wonderful it's, it's interesting amazing, story yeah. in and of itself. I was really interested to see like how it was being reviewed <laughs> and it was interesting because early on in the weekend it was at like 75 percent on on rotten tomatoes and i was like really like this is like one of the best movies i've seen in years yeah and you know and i'm reading the reviews and what was funny was like the the seemed like the repeating complaint of pretty much all the major news outlets that were reviewing it was it feels unfinished. It's like, well, no shit. It's part one. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, saying yeah, yeah. like, oh gosh, Star Wars, a new hope feels unfinished. It's like, well, yeah, it's part Fair of enough. a trilogy. Yeah, maybe, maybe they were as ignorant as I was about that. I, I, I mean, I, I think they'd certainly be forgiven for, because yeah, to I be mean, honest, like I think a, a mistake on the publicity side of things that they did not, you know, didn't the director was very forthright about like, hey, this is part one, but like none of if you didn't like read interviews, if you just watched trailers and yeah. you know saw an ad campaign or a, a movie poster, like you'd have no idea. Yeah, no, I I am like looking at it now. Glad they did it in two parts because I'll get to spend a little bit more time in the world, and you you yeah. kind of have the first part, which just you know enrages you, and then second part right. will. We'll, we'll get some oh, justice some catharsis yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's yeah like part one to me is if you were comparing to star wars is like a new hope and empire strikes <laughs> yeah. back together yeah. <laughs> uh so it's it i but we wanted to bring this up because we want to encourage everyone to go either go out yeah, and see it or see it in your homes on hbo we want to support a second part getting made <laughs> i know i know exactly i'd be so sad if that didn't happen yeah, I know. It it would just yeah, it would feel like a, a massively lost opportunity. Um, <laughs> but we didn't want to spend too too much time talking about that because we did have a very uh, big Formula One race. This was 
finally back in the U.S. after a year away because of COVID. And uh, I mean, Texas, the U.S. really showed up quite well. There were like yeah, 140, 150,000 people. Uh, I, saw, I, saw on the, I saw on the F1 television that they said there was attendance of 400,000. Over the entire weekend? Must be. Must yeah, be. I, I, I would like. That would make somebody I would believe. I think it was maybe Martin Brundle, but somebody alluded to the fact and they just said, it's got to be the Netflix thing. You know, yeah, there's yeah. just more people have interest, interest. in this. Well, know, just anecdotally, even, I know two or three people that are watching F1 this year for the first time because of Drive to Survive, you know, the Netflix show. It and, worked. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like, when you can take a sport and turn it into a personal interest story, yeah. like you can humanize these people. Like now you've got people on board who are not necessarily into sports or into cars yeah, or into, exactly. you know, that you know, and then, and that's true. And then you got all these guys, it's a different world now, you know, whereas back in the nineties our you know, favorite athletes or something, we had no other interaction with them or seeing them outside of like, you know, the game or some right. kind of, age publicity thing and now these guys yeah. are on you know twitter you're seeing what they're doing on the mm-hmm. weekends if they're doing a charity thing and so you can kind yeah. of be like oh this dude's really cool that's cool he's into that i'm into that no you know? that's a great point i mean like for example if if you watch drive to survive got into f1 because you thought daniel ricardo was really funny or you liked you know lando norris or whatever well okay great you can you now you're in you can go to McLaren's YouTube channel and they do these little a day in the life of Lando and, and yeah. Lando and Daniel go race on this circuit against Zach Brown, the McLaren CEO. And like, they do all these little funny, you know, fun kind of things that get, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, now there, like you said, there's more ways than ever, whether it's Instagram stories or on Twitter or whatever, you can see, behind the screen a little bit and get to know these guys as people. And that that's where I think Netflix really succeeded and boosted, you know, like we we've talked about before, like the first season of drive to survive, you know, the big players, Ferrari, Mercedes, they weren't in it at all. And then people saw the huge boost that these teams got from that in terms of fan base and support. And they're like, second season, Mercedes and Ferrari are all right up there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, please, cameras come in. Less Um, Gunther. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh, So, you know, it, but yeah. So attendance was awesome. Crowds Mm. packing the stands and qualifying was, was, pretty much what you'd expect. Uh, so, so Max Verstappen uh, was on pole after a really phenomenal f- uh, final lap, mm-hmm. uh, flying lap. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, second. Sergio Perez was in third. Uh, Valtteri Bottas qualified in fourth, but he uh, had a five-grid engine penalty because they put a new engine in his car, so he started ninth. And then mm-hmm. Charles Leclerc and Carlos signs for Ferrari in fifth and sixth. And then Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris um, and seventh and eighth for McLaren. And the beginning of the race was uh, really interesting because uh, they, uh, for the pole position starts kind of on the right hand side of the track. Yeah, so it's true. Max is on the right, Lewis is on the left, a little bit behind him in the second spot. But the first major corner is, is a fairly tight left hand corner. And he had, 
kind of indicated before the race that, you know, he was basically just going to make it a drag race to the first turn. And that was not what happened. No, it wasn't. So, so, yeah. So what did you think of the beginning? <laughs> well, you know, I remember they, they asked Kristen Horner, like, what, what do you think about what happened? What do you think the data says? And, yeah. and I think the message was Lewis just had a hell of a start. Yeah, I mean, right. They had no precise. case start. Yep. Yeah. And so I think that was the problem. And then, you know, like, um, I don't know who was interviewing Max. Maybe it was Brundle. Mm-hmm. But they had asked him about that. Like, are you going to go to the left? And he's like, mm-hmm. no, I'm just going straight. I'm going to yeah. take it on the outside. Yeah. And then he, I think he takes off and he looks over and Caesar Lewis is at. And he's like, oh, God, I got to try to cut him yeah. off now. So he's yep. ripping over to the left trying yeah. to. Cut him off, and it's like Lewis nope. into like the pit exit, essentially. <laughs> I know, all the way over. I Not, know. Yeah, I think and you're then, right. I think Lewis had a better reaction time than Max. Yeah, and yeah, Max knew he was going to get to the corner first. He's like, I got to try to do something. So yeah, I got to try to. And then Lewis kind of returned the favor. Yep. And yeah, I, I think Max was just man, really lucky he didn't spin out over there. Yeah, um, yeah. When he so, got off the track because it was looking kind of squirrely there for a minute. Yeah, no, exactly. So they get through the first corner. Lewis uh, leads, <clears throat> and um, so now it becomes a game of of you know, do you do the undercut, which means you come in earlier than your opponent, get new tires, uh, and try and you know basically run those tires out through the rest of the race uh, to try and, you know, gain a little bit of a time advantage when he has to pit or yeah. do you do the overcut where it's the opposite. You're, you're going to try and stay out a bit longer. And then when he comes into pit, you hammer it, try and get a big yeah. enough gap that when you have to pit, you can um, retain the lead. And so, you Red know, Bull elected, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, um, what was interesting is after Lewis took the lead, you heard Max radio in a couple times, like he's sliding all over the place. His back end sliding all over the place. And one yeah. of the things about this, apparently this is not a pleasant circuit. It's this a very a bumpy rough, track, really right. rough surface, really bumpy track. Yep. And so they're actually going to be resurfacing it before the Moto GP oh, guys go there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you saw Lewis, in the lead, but Max was just right hot on his tail. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of got the sense that Max was quicker in kind of the turns in the midsection. And then if you got on the straightaway, the Mercedes had them mm-hmm. a little bit with some more straight line speed. So yep. you were kind of like wondering, okay, is Max going to just catch him? Like, are we going to see some really quick tire degradation? Um, Pirelli mm-hmm. had come out and said the hards could go for, I think they said up to like 40. theoretically 40 laps. Yep. Yep. And so you're thinking, okay, we got a while to go here. Yeah. And um, right. I think Max had a confidence behind Lewis and seeing him getting squirrely and sliding all over the place. It's like, eventually I'm going to get around him. Mm-hmm. But then I think the laps kept kind of ticking and ticking up and ticking up. And Max <laughs> is starting to think like, Oh, I don't know. I'm starting to feel it myself. Like I'm moving around a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. And, and both, and both teams were basically on a two stop strategy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 
so what ended up happening is <clears throat> Max goes for the undercut. So he comes in early, mm-hmm. gets new tires, gets the hard compounds on, and he gets them on. I mean, I, I want to say like lap, like it was yeah, early, like really late early. teens, maybe 20 something. Yeah. And, yeah, surprising. Uh, <clears throat> and Lewis comes in, um, I want to say like, six or seven laps later i think ended up being like an eight lap difference in terms of tire age yeah and and i think perez pushed him a little to come in because perez then finally came in and Mm -hmm. mercedes were like okay we We gotta get him in or perez could potentially get in front of us and then lewis is in you know third with needing to and then perez gets to block us you know because perez is a very good defender he's defended max from lewis before yeah <clears throat> yeah, so you know, then it just becomes a, a, a you know the middle of the race was was a little boring because it was kind of processional. There wasn't a whole lot of passing happening. I mean, there's a little bit of action with Valtteri yeah. trying to get around. Uh, <laughs> and now, uh, what's his name? Alonso. <laughs> give this. Give the thing back. Give. The oh place yeah, back. yeah. Don't give the place back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Alonso. That was funny. Uh, who was he tangling with Giovinazzi? He and Giovinazzi were going back and forth. It's funny. But in terms of like, you know, the positioning for like the Ferraris and and McLaren's, it didn't change a whole lot. Like Charles uh, ended right. up finishing fourth. Dano got fifth. Valtteri went from ninth to sixth. So he made up a little bit of ground. <clears throat> but what was really fascinating was between Max and Lewis, um, yeah. you could just, it, you could see like in the last... I think Christian Horner at one point said, like, this is going to come down to, like, the last five minutes of the race. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because they kept kept needling. Like, they would cut to him during the broadcast, like the Martin Brundle and and Crofty, and they would, you know, do you think he came in too early, Christian? And Christian's like, well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, and I, I honestly thought at the time, I was like, God, you know, you guys did. I mean, I thought to myself, I, I just... Like Lewis is so good at tire management mm-hmm. that, and when you see those new tires go on, God, mm-hmm. they really cut into the times. Yeah. And I mean, I he was, thought, man, if they time this right mm-hmm. and they get them on at the right time and they have the straight line speed, that's a little quicker than the Red Bull. Yeah. This is, this is there. And I think even total came on, like we're racing for the win. Yeah. Yeah. Point, yeah. You know? Yeah. And Lewis is like. Like so I was, at, I, I know that it was a little processional in the middle of that race, but man, I was kind of on the edge the whole time because I was just watching. Like, yeah, you, the in time. the middle of the race, you basically got a sneak peek of what was going to happen at the end. You know, when yeah. Max went on and then Lewis went on, it's like, okay, Lewis is like tearing through this, you know, fifteen second difference. Like, right. oh, this is not going to go well for them at the end of the race, right? And that <laughs> final like eight to ten laps was absolutely fascinating because Lewis. Lewis was taken off four tenths, five tenths, you know, half exactly. a second. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is over. I and, just thought it was over. <laughs> it was it went from like a six second gap <laughs> to all of a sudden it's like three seconds and two and, and you're yeah. like, okay, if he's you're starting to do the math. Like he's okay, <laughs> there's enough time to do laps, this. And he's behind by two seconds and he's you know he's got but this. then yep. it's not that the beauty of Formula One is it's not that simple. He gets close to Max. All of a sudden, he starts losing downforce on his car. Now he's yeah. not going as fast. So it's yeah. you know 
it's it's one of the reasons and, they're making changes to the structure of the cars next year is they want passing to be easier. Um, we've yeah. seen, I mean, shoot, we saw it with um, uh, earlier on in the race, Valtteri Botas trying to get around Yuki Sonoda. You yeah, know, yeah. Sonoda <clears throat> wasn't doing anything special, but it's just so freaking hard to pass once you start getting, getting in, in that the air. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, Lewis's pace starts slowing down a little bit, but he was, he was close, you know, and the magic number is one second. You get within one second, the guy in yeah. front of you, and you get to have DRS. And DRS yeah. on the Circle of the Americas track meant about an additional 14 kilometers an hour of pace on the straight. Um, yeah. And so he gets it just under a second, but then Max is able to get it over a second again before the next DRS detection zone. And, and so you're just like, oh, my God, it's so close. It was it was so close. And then it on the second, so the second to la- I think it was the second to last lap, they're coming up on the back marker. So basically the guys in last place, they're getting <laughs> lapped. And he's coming up. And what they're supposed to do is the back the markers, the blue flag waved at them to let them know, hey, the leaders are coming through. You need to get out of the way and not interfere with their race. And so Mick Schumacher is getting the blue flag and he's not getting out of the way. <laughs> but, you know, and, and, and truth be told, you know, I, I don't know, like it's, it's tough, right? I mean, in that like middle section that kind yeah. of mimics Silverstone with the three quick turns, like where yeah. the hell are you going to get out of the way? I mean, you basically have right. to slow down and get all the way over. And, and honestly, yeah. maybe that's what they should do because I mean, that's how partly Max's buffer between him and Lewis came down yeah. Him trying to navigate these back markers and finding mm-hmm. them in parts of the track where it's like, how the hell do I get out of the way? Because if I'm way. out of the way here, I'm in the racing line 20 feet later. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's certainly easier said than done. Um, but the funny thing was, yeah. he cost Max a little bit of time by not being able <laughs> to get out gave, of the way. But then he but, gave it back. <laughs> but he gave it back because... They gifted he, him DRS. Yep. Max <laughs> happened to be behind less than a second behind Mick Schumacher <laughs> in a DRS detection zone. And it doesn't matter ding, ding, if ding, you're ding. in first and passing a back marker <laughs> or if you're in second trying to pass the guy in first. If you're less than a second behind the car in front of you, uh, you get DRS. And so even though Lewis closed to within a second to get DRS on Max, <laughs> Max also had DRS. So everyone's going. I, I felt like if there, you know, if there was another lap or two, I don't think Verstappen could have held on. Yeah, no. So it was I, kind of fun to to see him hold on, and, yeah. and even at the end there, like you got the impression he must have done a little tire management in in mm-hmm. between there because he was able to, you know, put up the pace mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I think this. So so. You know, Max ended up winning. Lewis got second. And I think it did show some tire management because his tires were seven, eight laps older than Lewis's and he was Mm -hmm. still getting performance out of them. And, you know, it just showed this was a really impressive drive from Max because he knew it was going to be close and he never lost his nerve. He just he didn't make a mistake. Actually, like on that, the lap where um, Lewis uh, where Max was uh, got stuck behind Mick for a second. 
Lewis actually lost a little bit of time because he got loose. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so Lewis was actually the one that made a little bit of a mistake trying to push uh, and catch up. Mm-hmm. So uh, credit to Max. I mean, the the racing this year between these two guys is just. Oh, yeah. And like, I think I don't know who one of the announcers said this, but you look at Perez in relative terms. These two have just mm-hmm. like he said, elevated themselves to a whole other level. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Fighting. I mean, just like beyond the limit at this point. It's it's, it's what you it's what you hope to see when two people who are phenomenal yeah, two titans each other. Like it's like watching Ronaldo and Messi and like a Barcelona Real Madrid game. Like they're going to make each other they're gonna push each other to be greater, you know. And it's you know, magic versus Jordan, you know, whatever yeah, exactly. magic versus like, bird. <laughs> like these are guys that they are if you want to win, you have to be on a, you know, push yourself beyond what you're capable of, you know, what you think you're capable of. And, and that's, that's really when sports gets to be kind of that transcendent yeah. thing. And, and where I think we're seeing it this year and it's just, it's been phenomenal to watch and yeah. uh, I hope it continues. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with the, uh, the Mexican GP uh, which will be which will be fun. I think Sergio Perez. Hopefully, they let Sergio fun. drink a little bit. Yeah, that race. Oh yeah, that was poor so guy. Funny. <laughs> so it is blazingly hot in Texas for this race. <laughs> I know. And Sergio Perez's uh, couldn't get drink the drink. System basically, was non-functional after the poor first bastard. <laughs> I can't imagine how much like weight he oh. lost in dehydration. <laughs> couldn't suck down that Red Bull fizzy drink. <laughs> no. no. So, anyways, phenomenal race. Uh, I think it it was you know there wasn't a lot of the craziness. There weren't a, a bunch of crashes and yeah, cars and all this crap. It was just true. It was a great racing race. strategy, uh, you know, and and precision execution by Max. So, um, you know, really fun to watch, and uh, I'm definitely to the the Mexican GP and seeing what Mercedes can kind of do to find real in Max's uh, slightly growing lead at this point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, I think that's about it for this week. Um, we'll be back next week um, without any F1. So we'll, we'll be able to recap some news. There was actually some really interesting um, news just breaking today about uh, Hertz rental cars, buying a bunch of Teslas. So I'm sure we'll touch on that. Um, yeah. Really interesting stuff, but uh Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to check us out on uh, Instagram at the Blowout Podcast. And until then, we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.